0: Right guys, from the absolutely very start of this one, before I even introduce myself, heavy, heavy content warning. This is the Wilfred Owen episode. From the very start, there will be mentions of death, blood and gore.
1: There's one Jerry, who I laid out, sniped him. And he laid down out in no man's land. he was there for about, about 10 minutes, about 20 yards out and I went and dragged him in, It was a jerry. I dragged him in, I laid him on the firestep, and, uh, and uh, he was all blue in the face. And I said to him, he snuffed it to finish, I said to him before he passed out, I said, you bloody fool. If he'd have, you know, gave himself up and I'd have taken him prisoner, but he turned to run back when I challenged him, and because I shot him in the back of the head. And, that, and I never forgot that fella. He was only a young fella, and he was only about 15 or 16, I should say, and he got a brand-new uniform on, and, that, and he must have got lost in coming from his own lines into our lines and just strayed. And I felt sorry for that. He was only a kiddie. And I'm sorry I did shoot him.
0: Met Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another st- episode of Straight Talking English. I am your host, as ever, Catherine, and I am here to tell you today the story of Wilfrid Owen and exposure. This is an episode I have been putting off for a while because it's grim research and reading. I will be trying to make as light of it as possible to cancel out the general horror and grimness but we can't deny these are the things that happened i open with that clip rather than my usual cheery intro because i feel like it's a pretty good example of what i'm talking about the guy who was chatting sydney williams was a veteran of the first world war talking about what would have been a fairly typical experience so str8 talking english on twitter straight the full context series on amazon and if not today the day of the drop of this episode then in the very near future the video that matches it will be going up on youtube so search up youtube straight talking english and you will see my lovely face doing all of its face things big thank you to my voice actor for today tim thank you very very much for your reading as you'll agree when you hear it it is an awesome one so let's get into this bad boy. Those of you who have not been blessed by doing a history degree or a history GCSE, those of you who aren't into history, you may not know very much about the first world war and we throw away around terms like Wilfred Owen is poet of the first world war without actually really knowing what that means. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on there with the First World War. In August 1914, Britain declared war on Germany. This sparked the whole world going into what is called World War I. But why would they do that? A little bit further back than that, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, for whom, uh, take me out, the classic indie band of the noughties was named, was assassinated in Serbia by a Serbian separatist guy called Gabriel Princip. He was the heir to the throne of Austro-Hungary, which is Austria and Hungary matched together, and needless to say, his dad, the king, was not impressed. They declare war on Serbia. But wait, Russia has promised to protect protect Serbia. So Russia joins in and declares war on Austro-Hungary. Germany's like, I'm getting in on this. I'm going to declare war on everyone as well. The overall plan for Germany is to sneak round through Belgium, through France, round the back and attack the French from behind because now the french have got involved but britain has promised to look after france and belgium then britain gets involved and it's this whole mess of treaties which have all sort of grown up through this post-crimean war paranoia when the war first breaks out people are feeling pretty good about it You know, like, we're the greatest, we're England, we're going to own everybody else. It'll be over by Christmas. Actually, first couple of months, nothing really happens. There isn't conscription yet, which is when people are forced to join the military. But actually, what there is, is people choosing to join. And our poet, Wilfred Owen, is one of those who chose to join. So, two stories Become one, like the Spice Girls, when two become one. The song that made a generation of people, myself included, ask their parents, What does wanna make love to you, baby, mean? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how they got it past the watershed. Wilfred Owen is in France in 1914. He is actually an English tutor to a French family. It's got a pretty sweet deal, actually. So Wilfred Owen really, really reminds me of a student I used to have who was a ridiculously quiet and conscientious boy who was kind of obsessed with his pencil case. And if you asked him about, like, oh, have you got the pen? He would open it and he'd have, like, five in every different, like, width? He'd also get really protective over it he's also the kid that lost his oyster card so many times that his parents put a hole in it so he had to wear it round his neck <laughs> which i still think of like on my days so Owen was born in 93 1893 he was a very very studious religious quiet young man his brother just remembers as sort of him being the one that did all the schoolwork and didn't do the like running around childhood late 19th century games he loved keats he did like a weird keats pilgrimage when he was a young man to go and see something that had keats's handwriting on it again i can relate one of my most prized possessions in the whole wide world is i have a book which is signed by hg wells and when i first saw the great man's signature i started just screaming to myself like one of them children that says harry styles it was was shameful he also really really loved Shelley, massively into Shelley. he thought about um joining the church but he decided against it because he wasn't super into the preaching thing but he was into the like research and being quiet thing so we had a job for a bit before we went into tutoring as being like a research assistant to this vicar who wanted to write his memoirs so he hired little old owen to do like the digging for him i say little old owen he was five five as an adult he was not a very tall man at all january 1916 He starts the year as a freshly minted lieutenant for the second Manchester, I think. I've lost my show notes somewhere in my house move. So I'm mostly doing this from memory. So if I just give up and start saying like not a list of numbers or something, then you know that I've gone off the plot. He's a freshly minted lieutenant. He is very hopeful but as soon as he arrives in france soon as he experiences the reality of the war he is absolutely shocked it is not what he wanted at all he has ended up in what we now call the battle of the somme it is famous because the opening day of the Somme was the single bloodiest day in any conflict involving the british military like day one of the Somme is it for number of casualties it's just just awful just like everything you can imagine about there being hell it is it there is a couple of incidents that we can see as super super important for understanding owen in the war in the first incident him and his platoon of soldiers are sent to defend a particular trench okie doke standard seems good so far and then it started raining and water came in it ended up there being two foot of water and as i said he's not a tall man and there was about four foot of air left for them to breathe And they were there for 50 hours, not knowing whether they would die from drowning, die from the German bullets or die another way. That sent Owen into kind of a bad place. Next up, he was asked to defend something else with his platoon. Okay, cool. He's doing a lot of good defending. This is fine. And they didn't get a trench this time. They had to lie down and wait in the middle of the winter. Oh, God. They were lying down and then it snowed on them. And they were lying down under snow for another 50 hours. The guy lying down next to Owen froze to death and he had to lie down next to the body for two days. So from what I've told you of Owen's personality, you know, quiet, pleasant, religious, this officially starts sending him into some very erratic, traumatized, horrible place. That's not the injury that gets him out of the war though he is sent another soldier starts having a lot of distress and because owen's his commander owen is asked to go over there and help him he walks out from wherever like their restroom their break room is and turns out there is a shell crater where there wasn't one before because a shell had just landed and he fell in it and got a severe concussion the doctors took him to one side and they were like this man he is not he is not gonna be able to do this right now and that was what sent him back to the uk for the next leg of the poetry journey we're gonna take a pause so wilf is on his way to scotland let's hear from another soldier who served in the first world war about his experience in very, very similar battles.
2: I was 18, 18 and a half, and I was called up. I saw two battlefields, one at Passchendaele and one at uh, Pilkin. I shall never forget it as long as I live. The officer was going down the trench. Anybody who didn't go in was shot on sight for cowardice. We went over and we crawled. If you stood up, you were dead. And I came across a Cornishman. He was ripped from his shoulder to his stomach with shrapnel. His inside was out on the ground in a pool of blood. He says, shoot me. Before we could draw a revolver to shoot him, he was beyond all human aid. He died. In 30 seconds, he died. And he just said one word, mother. And that haunted me all my life. Out of the trench, there was about four or five Germans got out and they didn't get out to run, they got out to fight. And one of them was coming towards us with a uh, fixed bayonet. He couldn't have had any ammunition, else he'd have shot us. As I say, I was a crack shot. I shot him in the shoulder. I couldn't kill him. That Cornishman's mother was in my brain. I thought, I can't kill him. He's somebody's son, he's probably got brothers and sisters. Maybe he's got a family to bring up. I can't kill him. I never, never, I shall never forget it. We did um, two or three turns in the trenches and we were going back on one of those turns when um, somebody pulled the lanyard of a gun fired the whiz landed right in amongst us. It killed three, four, and five. It wounded me, and I a um, piece of shrapnel, it must have hit something in the ground, or something hard. It's two inches long, half an inch wide, jagged edge, hit me in the groin. It was only a scratch, really. You could see it. And um, I must have passed out. I don't know how long I lay there. The next thing I knew, I was in a dressing station. And the doctor came the next evening. I took the bandage off. He said, uh, would you like me to take that shrapnel out? Now he said, before you say yes, there's no anaesthetic in the camp. So I thought for a minute, thought, well, I don't know. The pain was intense. So I said, yes, go on, getting out. How long will you be? He said, two minutes. I could have bloody killed him in those two minutes. But anyway, he got it out. And he said, uh, You want this as a souvenir i said i've had the bloody stuff long enough as it is (laughs) the next thing i knew they called my number my name i was put in a red cross van down to rouen and back to england that was that was it
0: right well there you go oh my days In some ways, I've been really lucky to find these accounts because there are not that many veterans who are even still around now, but even more so with these older accounts who have been able to be interviewed. So in some ways, it's a privilege to be able to share this gentleman's views, this gentleman's experiences with you. But on the other hand, oh my days, he was 18, like my sixth form students. Anyway, let's get on with owen he very fortunately for him he ends up at a place called craig lockhart hospital in scotland he is diagnosed with something called shell shock this is a forerunner to what we would call ptsd today post-traumatic stress disorder where the body has been through such a traumatic event that the mind cannot process it properly and it causes mental health difficulties of many many different kinds it does not have to be combat experience it can be any event that the brain cannot truly process and of an interesting side note actually world war 1 in terms of men's mental health was a massive turning point because all of a sudden that Horrible, horrible trauma, like the unimaginable, unprocessable experience of World War One for, for many men, led them to experience shell shock. These would be men who otherwise would be totally healthy. So the medical establishment has to kind of rephrase their ideas of men's mental health, like, oh, Maybe there isn't something fundamentally wrong with you if you have mental health problems. Maybe it could happen to anyone. It's kind of astounding. And this is truly a point where this changes. Another field that World War One hugely influenced was plastic surgery. Because of the scars suffered by many veterans and the injuries that they had. Plastic surgery. Prosthetics went along leaps and bounds. Craig Lockhart was p- quite a progressive facility and they recognised that Owen was a talented writer so as kind of a therapy he was encouraged to write as much as he could to get it out of his system. One of the other poets who was staying there also for Shellshock was Siegfried Sassoon and here we have Another theme throughout the poems as I'm sure I ranted about in charge of the Light Brigade. Everyone is a closeted gay guy Owen almost definitely was homosexual but because he was religious and middle-class and stiff upper lip he never actually acted on people he fancied but if you look at his wider body of work the way he talks about uh, the appearance of young men around him you can tell he's not just appreciating their beauty from an artistic standpoint. The same as if you look at Sassoon's poetry it's kind of obvious once you know it he also really really hates women. Oh god all of Sassoon's poetry is so misogynistic. But these two get along like a house on fire. Sassoon starts mentoring Owen, editing his work giving him advice on how to approve, telling him what he can do to get better. It's all good. And he starts progressing as a writer. He edits the magazine that the hospital put out called The Hydra. He does a little bit more teacher training. He does like some volunteer teaching in a local school. It's all very lovely. And he's starting To process what's happened to him in the war, process his experiences, and it's coming out through his poetry. Okay, this is so far all healthy, all very positive. However, summer 1918, oh my days, and this is one of these great, like tragedies in modern literature a tragedy in the Greek tragedy sense that it could have been avoided but it was this this excess of pride by the British establishment they believed that Owen was fit and healthy again can we really put a time a timeline definitive finish if someone is having deep mental health issues but apparently you can he was deemed fit and healthy enough to go back to the field and he was ordered back to France oh my days He is sent off to Yorkshire to try to, like, chill out, refresh himself, get himself ready for his next assignment. And we know when exposure was written, it was written while he was staying in Scarborough. And we know that because he wrote a letter to Sassoon asking for his advice on it. So... Give this a listen and tell me this is not one of the most autobiographical of Owen's works.
3: Our brains ache in the merciless iced east winds that knife us. Wearied, we keep awake because the night is silent. Low drooping flares confuse our memory of the salient. Worried by silence, sentries whisper, curious, nervous, but nothing happens. Watching, we hear the mad gusts tugging on the wire, like twitching agonies of men amongst its brambles. Northward, incessantly, the flickering gunnery rumbles, far off like a dull rumour of some other war. What are we doing here? The poignant misery of dawn begins to grow. We only know war lasts, rain soaks, and clouds sag stormy. Dawn massing in the east her melancholy army attacks once more in ranks on shivering ranks of grey but nothing happens. Sudden successive flights of bullets streak the silence less deadly than the air that shudders black with snow with sidelong flowing flakes that flock pause and renew we watch them, wandering up and down the wind's nonchalance, but nothing happens. Pale flakes with lingering stealth come feeling for our faces, we cringe in holes, back on forgotten dreams, and stare, snow-dazed, deep into grassier ditches. So we drowse, sun-dosed, Littered with blossoms, trickling where the blackbird fusses. Is it that we are dying? Slowly our ghosts drag home, glimpsing the sunk fires glozed with crusted, red, dark jewels. Crickets jingle there. For hours the innocent mice rejoice. The house is theirs. Shutters and doors all closed, and as the doors are closed, we turn back to our dying. Since we believe not otherwise can kind fires burn, now ever suns smile true on child or field or fruit. For God's invincible spring our love is made afraid. Therefore, not loath, we lie out here. Therefore, we're born, for love of God seems dying. Tonight, his frost will fasten on this mother Naz. Shriveling many hands and puckering foreheads crisp. The burying party, picks and shovels in their shaking grasp, pause over half-known faces. All their eyes are ice. But nothing happens. Slowly our ghosts drag home, glimpsing the sunk fires, glosed with crusted dark red jewels. The crickets jingle there. For hours the innocent mice rejoice. The house is theirs. Shutters and doors all closed. On us the doors are closed. We turn back to our dying.
0: So Owen sends this off to Siegfried to get some advice. Pretty good. And what you just heard there was our voice actor Tim doing the finished version. But Owen is a great redrafter. Which is honestly a blessing if you want to work out what he's doing. So I've got in front of me the first draft of Owen's poetry. He initially said white flakes with fingering stealth. Then gray flakes with fingering stealth but Sassoon added in pale he was gonna have slowly our ghost drag home sunken fires the glow with some weird things going on here he wanted to have is it that we are dying as so quietly are we dying That's not a Sassoon edit, that's him. We turn back to our dying, should be we return back to our dying. Now, even sons give joy to child kind fields or fruit. And then Sassoon rewrote like the whole ending. Honestly, search for first draft exposure. And it is a team effort. But you get... So many links to his experiences in the Somme. You've got the freezing snow. You've got this fear of dying. You've got this sense of being attacked. This like paranoia that's coming out that could well be his shell shock. It's really once you know that it is mostly completely real, gives it a bit of an extra dimension, doesn't it? Sadly, and it is, it is very sad. One week before the armistice was declared, Owen was killed. He was shot by a German gunner after um, his battalion, his platoon, his group were asked to build a bridge. He was helping them to absolutely the very last His mum did not actually find out that he had died until afterwards. Ugh. It's... Ugh. No. He only published one volume of poems during his lifetime. It was called Collected Poems. Again, this is another thread. If all our poets, this is either before they got famous or they only did one before they died. Part of me thinks... This is like some weird conspiracy, but it isn't. I'm always going to be on about my conspiracies. But if we look at the epilogue to his book, his little epigraph, then what we have is a really nice summary of owen that you can use while teaching or in an exam or just in general to um to impress people with your knowledge of wilfred owen he said about his collection of poems this book is not about heroes english poetry is not yet fit to speak of them nor is it about deeds or lands nor anything about glory honor might majesty dominion or power except war above all I am not concerned with poetry. My subject is war and the pity of war. The poetry is in the pity. Yet these elegies are to this generation in no sense consolatory. They may be to the next. All a poet can do today is warn. And that is the best eulogy that we can give Wilf. Who is now remembered as one of britain's greatest poets definitely one of the big names in world war one poetry thank you very very much for listening thank you for bearing with the blood and guts and gore of wilfred owen and exposure I am Catherine, SDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com, Patreon slash straight talking English. You can support the show for as little as a pound a month. Facebook, we have a group, Amazon, the full context series, and YouTube, straight talking English. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe, and I'll speak to you soon.